Well, several weeks ago, uh, Dan brought us to the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer portion of our mini-series, Ask, which has been so wonderful and encouraging. Uh, We saw that we've been given a twofold example with the Lord's Prayer, both as a prayer to be prayed and also as a template to follow in our own prayers. And in praying this way, we bring the focus of our prayer to the glory of God, praying first concerning God's matters, and then in light of that, bringing him our physical needs and our spiritual needs. And we've been given a pattern of prayer to follow that isn't lengthy. Um, It's not uh, fine-sounding oration, which we drone on and on with, but simple, reliant prayers as we pray to the King of glory, praying for his will to be done. And as he does, we humbly ask that he would supply our needs, and we have many of them. I trust the Lord has used this series on prayer as well as our wonderful 21 days of prayer that we joined with other local churches in last month to encourage and increase our prayers. We are to be a praying people just as naturally as we breathe, right? But what about when we pray for something, something good, something we think God would naturally just want to answer from what we know of his character, and yet we don't see an answer come? What about when we pray for things where we've seen him answer that exact same prayer for others, but our own goes unanswered? What about when we're praying for the salvation of our our friends and our families or our neighbors, and we just don't see any spiritual interest coming from them? What about when we're praying and dealing with chronic pain or a medical condition, an affliction, and we cry out to the Lord for healing, for restoration of health, or for those we hold dear, but it just continues to persist? What about when we are praying for strained family relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, for restoration or reconciliation, and it just doesn't happen? Month after month, the strain and the impact continues to be felt. What about those who are praying for children, desiring children, a good and wonderful blessing from the Lord, or praying for a spouse, a godly partner to marry. But the pregnancy, that knight in shining armor, the beautiful maiden, they don't appear. What then? Now, we know from our study on the Lord's Prayer that we are to ask for these things. They are good things. We know that God delights in answering prayer. He is fully capable and able to answer prayer. And we also know that as we pray, we desire the Lord's will to be done, right, and not our own. And that as we pray, our will uh, would be aligned to his. And we know that he works all things together for good and is sovereign over all and that he can use pain and suffering and hurt for his glory and good. We know all these things. We know that God answers prayer sometimes with a yes, sometimes with a no, sometimes with wait. But what do we do when we have a pressing need, a good desire, a prayer, or a petition that we are requesting from God, and we've seen him answer this prayer for others, and we know all these things, and we know his goodness and his love towards us, and yet nothing happens. What do we do then? Have you ever given up on a prayer? Have you ever prayed and poured your heart out to the Lord, giving it over to him, petitioning him, desiring, of course, for his will to be done? But when the answer doesn't come, you say, well, the Lord knows my need. I've made it known. He'll do what he'll do in his perfect time, and you just kind of throw up your hands. Or maybe you become frustrated with praying. You've prayed so hard for someone, but you don't see a change. 
It's continuously the same old with them, and you become frustrated and discouraged. We've all had moments like this, haven't we? But Jesus took time to address these things as he taught. He knew that we would have moments like this. And as we went through the Ask series in Matthew, we saw Jesus covered how to pray, how not to pray, how to ask and pray boldly, how to not be anxious because our good Father knows our needs. But in Luke's gospel, where he records the Lord's Prayer, he instead follows it up with a different aspect, which we don't find in Matthew, a parable that addresses not the needs or the petitions, but rather the persistence which we are to have as we come to our Father in prayer. So let's read Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8. This is the word of the Lord. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. What an impudent friend. Wait, is that a good thing? <laughs> what, is, what does impudence mean? Well, impudence is not rudeness, but rather means shamelessness, lack of consideration, audacity. In the NIV, it's shameless audacity, or in the CSB, shameless boldness. It could be interpreted as rude by the person you're speaking to in this manner, given that it doesn't take propriety or social norms into consideration. Speaking with impudence just comes right out and says it with no regard. I think we can all relate to this parable, especially if you have kids or have been around kids. Uh, they, they ask things at the most inopportune times with a definite last, lack of consideration, don't they? And they don't ask just once. They come with this eager, driving persistence that doesn't give up until they get a response. It's like when it's 3.30 a.m. and my alarm's going to go off in two hours and all of a sudden I'm jolted awake because there's a knocking at my door, which is two feet from my head. And that knocking will continue until I get out of bed. And so I get up and I open the door and... Sophia's there, and she looks up at me in the dark, and she says, I can't tuck my feet back in. (laughs) Now, I love my daughter, but 3.30 a.m. is an inopportune time, amen? (laughs) But because of her impudence, because of her persistent shamelessness asking, I'm going to go tuck her feet back in. Because if I don't, I can't go back to sleep. And here in Luke chapter 11, as Jesus gives us this parable on the heels of praying to our Father in heaven, he is highlighting the persistence, the audacity, the the impudence in which we are to bring our prayers to the Lord. This isn't a demanding demeanor or a rude demeanor, as sometimes we think when we hear these terms. Um, That's not how we are to come before the throne of grace. We are to bring our our prayers humbly, recognizing to whom we are bringing them to. But this audacity is rather a faith-fueled persistence. It's like Sophia knocking on my door over and over because she knows that if she knocks long long enough and loud enough, I'm going to get out of bed and open the door. Google tells me that persistence is to continue firmly or obstinately in an opinion or a course of action in spite of difficulty, opposition, or failure. 
And that's the exact approach that the subject of Jesus' parable took in gaining a midnight snack for his friend. He has some surprise visitors. Everyone likes surprise visitors, right? They always show up when the house is clean and tidy and there's a fresh meal in the Instapot. No, they they arrive when you're not ready for them. You don't have anything to feed them. Back in Jesus' time, it was a serious uh, social etiquette violation to not provide your guests with some food and drink. We do the same thing now, right? If somebody comes over, you offer them something to eat or drink. But back then, if you were out of food, there was no 24-hour Walmart or Mickey D's, no gas station selling Twinkies. So what does he do? He goes and he asks his friend for help. I've got a guest. I need some food. Now, this isn't a crazy request. He's not asking for anything large or difficult for his friend to provide. He's asking for something simple for something good, and it's within his friend's means to grant that request. And notice he's asking a friend. He's asking someone he's got a good relationship with. He's asking someone he probably does life together with. He's not asking a stranger out of the blue. He's asking someone he's close to. It's the same thing when we ask God for something good, something within his means to provide. We're not talking about asking for wrong things or praying selfish prayers. This is a request for an entirely good thing. I want to feed my friend, and I have nothing. And we aren't coming to God with our requests as strangers either. Praise God that we are bringing our requests before him as sons and daughters of God, our Father. He knows our needs. He knows us, knows every hair on our head, every thought in our hearts. And he loves us with an everlasting love. And this person isn't coming to his friend with a need that he can supply himself. It's the type of request where his only option is to depend on his friend completely. There's no sucking it up and handling this himself in this scenario. And that's exactly the type of request that we know our Father in Heaven can easily and does handle. But, it says, the hour is late. His friend has a family asleep. And I can personally attest to what kids are like the next day after a night of disturbed sleep. It's like something out of a Gremlins movie. (laughs) So his friend responds, naturally, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and we're in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, is this saying that there's an inopportune time to bring our request before God? That sometimes our requests are sent at an untimely moment? No. The Bible says that we are to pray without ceasing. And if we're to pray without ceasing, then there is no untimely moment to come before our Father in prayer. The point of the parable here is not the untimeliness of his request. That's simply the scenario for the response given. No bread for you. It's the scenario in which this individual's request for a good and simple thing is left unfulfilled. Sometimes you're praying maybe for a relationship where you you desire to see healing and restoration and a renewed sense of love and friendship, and you pour out your heart to the Lord. Lord, bring healing, bring restoration. And then you watch that relationship, and there's no change. There's no improvement. Maybe it gets left, maybe it gets worse. Your request is left unfulfilled. So what do we do? Well, what did this individual do? He persisted. And verse 8 tells us, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. He shamelessly and with great impudence persists. 
He continues on with his obstinate requests in spite of difficulty, opposition, or failure until the answer arrives. His friend doesn't get up and open the pantry based on their friendship. He gets up because of his persistence. And once he gets up due to his persistence, the friend answers then based on their friendship. He doesn't just give him bread. It says he gives him whatever he needs because he is now fulfilling this request for his dear friend. Church, Jesus is saying to us that this is how we are to be praying persistently. We are to press into the throne of grace with our needs, not giving up when we don't hear an answer, not pressing pause on letting our requests be made known to God, as Paul says in Philippians. Don't give up in prayer. Don't give up. Be persistent in coming to the Lord. We have to ask why, though. You know, God knows our needs even before we ask. God heard our prayer the first time. It, it didn't fall through the cracks. It didn't, he didn't miss it among all the prayers that are going up to him. We, have a, we know we have a good father who delights in answering the prayers of his children. So why does Jesus tell us to persist? Because the persistence is for our benefit, not God's. God uses our persistence in prayer for our own good. Persistence is not for our benefit, or for, is for our benefit. It's not for God's. God uses our persistence in prayer for our own good. Let's unpack that a little bit. As we pray persistently, our faith is strengthened. Our faith has grown as we continually pour out our needs and requests before him. Prayer begets more prayer, and prayer begets more faith. God uses our persistence in prayer to work out things in our own hearts, things we're holding on to, fashioning our hearts, so that as we continue to pray, those things that we are holding on to are let go of, and more faith takes their place. As we pray persistently, our reliance on God is increased. As we pray earnestly, incessantly, we are focusing all of our expectation on God for the answer. We're focused on God as our provider and our sustainer to govern the outcome, and we're not trying to bare-knuckle a result for ourselves. The more we pray, the more we give it wholly over to him, and the less that we look to lesser solutions or other means of provision. The more that we persist in prayer, the less we rely on something else or someone else. And instead, look to the one that Paul says will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And as we pray persistently, our will comes more into alignment with God's will. Sometimes we pray for a need, seeking a specific answer or outcome, one that we think is obvious and right. But as we continue to pray, the Lord works on our hearts about that situation, and we begin to trust him more for whatever the outcome, and our faith grows. And eventually, you're no longer asking for that outcome, but you're simply seeking his will to be done. You're instead asking that he would work out his sovereign will over that situation, and that he would be glorified in the outcome and provision of the solution. And you humbly express that you don't understand his ways, his delays maybe, and his purposes, because he is God and we are not. That doesn't always happen the first time we pray, but it does happen in persistent prayer. Persistent prayer is used by God for our good. Persistence is important, church. It really is. We aren't just praying once to put God on alert to our needs. We are expressing our full reliance on him continually 
as we persist in bringing our needs before him. And the Bible is filled with many examples of men and women bringing their requests in a persistent manner. And we also see the link to faith that accompanies their persistence. In Matthew chapter 9, we see the example of two persistent blind men who were requesting healing from Jesus. Let's look at that. Matthew 9, verses 27 through 30. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. Here we see Jesus walking along, and there were two blind men coming behind him, crying out, Have mercy on a son of David. Jesus heard them the first time, and the second time. He heard them all the way to this house that he finally arrived at. He was the son of God. He knew their needs. He knew they were blind and that they desired healing. But he kept walking, and no initial answer came. But they kept up, and they continued to cry out to him. That crying aloud here isn't a single plea for help. It's used for a continuous action, an ongoing, repeated cry for mercy. And when he gets to the house, they come before him, having cried out to him all along the way. And what does Jesus say? Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe? Do you really believe? Their answer was simple. Yes, Lord. And he heals them. But notice what he says. According to your faith, be it done to you. According to your faith. Their faith was evidenced and increased by their persistence. What if they had just cried out once? When Jesus kept walking, they went, well, it was worth a try. And they went home. They would have remained blind. But as they persisted, and in doing so, demonstrated the type of impudence that we are to have when we bring our needs before the Lord, a bold, continuous pleading for God to work. Like the two blind men, do we believe? If so, if we really do, then we must bring in a continuous and bold manner our request to God. And so Romans 12.12 reminds us to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Our, our ESV doesn't do quite as well as the original language here, which is more literally in hope, rejoicing. In tribulation, enduring. In prayer, persevering. Perseverance, persistence, boldness, impudence, continuing. These are words that should be synonyms for the manner in which we are bringing our requests to God. How about another example of persistence? Blind Bartimaeus, blind Bart. We have his account in Mark chapter 10 where he's sitting on the side of the road and hears that Jesus is passing by. So what does blind Bart do? He starts yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knows Jesus is near and he has the impudence to make his requests known. Have mercy on me. Mark 10, 48, it says, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He wasn't going to let this thing go. Jesus was near, and Jesus could heal him. This was his opportunity to make his need known, a need that only Jesus could heal, 
a need that he had no power to fulfill himself. And Bartimaeus remained diligent in his cries for mercy. He has faith that Jesus is the only one who can heal him. And Jesus hears him, doesn't he? And he calls him over. He asks him what he wants, knowing full well, and of course, it's his sight. He longs to be able to see. And in Mark ten fifty two, we see that Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. We see that link again between persistence and faith. He persisted with his request, persisted until he had, was heard. But once he, had, once he was heard, his, the answer came because of his faith. Go your way, your persistence has made you well? No, your faith has made you well. Persistence and faith. Matthew chapter 15, it gives us an account of a Canaanite woman who came crying out after Jesus to heal her daughter who was oppressed by demons. But as a Canaanite, she was a Gentile. She wasn't an Israelite. Now in 2024, the gospel is preached to all the world, Jew and Gentile. But initially it was offered to the Jews. As God's people, the Messiah was promised to them. The gospel came to them first and they rejected him. And then after Pentecost, right, we see the message of salvation going out to the Gentile world as God intended. But at this point in his ministry, Jesus was focused on the house of Israel. And this woman comes begging, breaking social norms even to approach Jesus. And the response we see in Matthew 15, 23 says, But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. But she persisted in her request. She was boldly, loudly even, bringing the need of her daughter to Jesus. He doesn't answer. So she persists with impudence. She comes right up to him and says, Lord, help me. And they have this amazing dialogue, which we won't get into today with um, about Jesus coming first to the Jews. And the woman, she, she gets this, that salvation was served up first to Israel. But she says, I'll gladly take just the crumbs of that grace. Because she knew that even that little bit would be enough to heal her daughter. And Jesus is amazed by this. He's blown away. After all her begging, pleading, and finally her reasoning, he responds in verse 28. O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed immediately, instantly. Persistence and faith, great faith. Here it is again. How many examples we have of persistence in bringing our needs to the Lord, and yet how little we persist. How little we go to our knees day after day, continuously lifting up the need. When someone has an immediate need, it's easier. We stop and we pray for them on the spot. It comes up, we pray, and that moment passes. And selfishly, we, sometimes we wish all of our prayers were like that, like an Amazon delivery, instant gratification and response. It's right there. But prayer isn't about us. It's about God. It's to him and for him. And he, in turn, uses our prayers, our persistence in prayer for our good, to increase our faith as he responds and delights to answer in his perfect timing. Prayer is incessant. Let's turn to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8 here, where Jesus is giving us the parable of a widow, the persistent widow. 
And thankfully for those of us who tend to miss the point, Luke starts off with giving us the main point of the parable right off the bat. Luke 18, verse 1. Oops. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. There's the point. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth. Now, this is such a wonderful parable with a very simple point. Don't give up praying. You have a judge who, Jesus says, neither feared God nor respected man. One commentator describes this judge as defying the vengeance of God and despising the opinion of man. He did what he wanted. He thought himself to be a pretty big deal. Ain't nobody telling this guy what to do. He's the judge, right? And then you have this poor, defenseless widow whom someone was taking advantage of. It wasn't right. She had been wronged. She deserved for justice to be served. But it wasn't coming from this judge. No one tells him what to do. And who was she anyways? It says, for a while, he refused her request to give me justice against my adversary. But she was persistent. She kept coming. Give me justice against my adversary. And eventually, this big deal of a judge says to himself, this widow is beating me down by coming here repeatedly, asking for justice. Even though I do what I want, I'm going to give her justice just so she'll stop coming. She's killing me here. And then in verse 6, it says, And the Lord said, that's Jesus speaking, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. In other words, look at his response in giving justice to the widow. If an evil judge will give justice to a persistent widow, what will God's response be to the persistent petitions of his people? Verse 7, And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. This is the lesser to the greater argument that Jewish scholars commonly use to arrive at conclusions. If an unrighteous judge will give justice to a persistent widow whom he cares nothing for after a while of persistence, how speedily then will a righteous God give justice to the persistent cries of his people for whom he cares a great deal for? Therefore, he will give them justice speedily. And if God responds to the persistence of his people, then what should we be doing? Pray always and never lose heart. The whole point of this parable. Pray when? Always, continually, persistently. Do you see this yet? We are to continue always bringing our request to God in every moment, petitioning our good Father. Why does he say, and never lose heart? Because we're prone to do that, aren't we? It's a, we're prone to slack off in our prayers. 
We're prone to give up on our requests. We pray, pouring out our hearts to the Lord, and then we sit back and we go radio silent, waiting on his next move. We are to be like the persistent widow and be persistent, be continuous, fervent, relentless in our prayers. It's why Jesus gives us this parable. We are to persist in prayer. But the question is, do we? It's the same question Jesus asked at the end of this passage. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he, church? When the Lord returns, will he find us persisting in prayer, constant in prayer, not giving up on a prayer, but instead persistently bringing those unmet petitions over and over to our Father? This is a call for me, for all of us here, to take a moment and evaluate our prayers. Are there requests that I was praying for, and over time I just kind of stopped bringing them before the Lord? Are there needs I was, I'm aware of for family, for friends, for healing or blessing or provision that at one point I was praying for, but eventually I just kind of moved on to praying for other things? Maybe there's a need that we've been praying for that we become frustrated by seeing no change. It's a sobering question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? persistently praying people on the earth. Again, we see persistent faith, persistent prayer is linked to faith. This isn't a judgment, a condemnation of the things that we've stopped praying for, but a reminder and an encouragement to continue in prayer, to persist in our request, because in doing so, our faith will be increased and God will answer the prayers of his elect. How long do we persist in prayer? Three days, three weeks, three years, three decades, as long as it takes. As long as it takes for the answer to come. God is patiently at work, even though we might not see it. Our view is minuscule. We can be praying for someone and never see what God is doing in their heart. We might be praying for healing for a brother or sister, but not able to see how God is using that to ultimately bring about good in that person's life. We don't know. He is God and we are not. But we are to keep praying fervently and earnestly. We don't have to see the big picture to to heed the command, pray without ceasing, that we are given in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Persistent prayer is uh, exactly what we see Hannah did in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you recall, she was one of the two wives of Elkanah, and she had no children. The Lord had closed her womb. But she dearly longed for a child, to be a mother holding her baby in her arms. And year after year after year, they would go up to Shiloh to worship the Lord and bring sacrifices. And year after year, her petition was for a child. A strong petition brought with tears and vexation, with angst, to the point that Eli the priest thought she was drunk. First Samuel tells us she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Year after year, she had been bringing this request to the Lord, being mocked for lack of children by the other wife who had children. This was a grievous lack for her, but she continues coming year after year. She pours out her soul to the Lord, it says, and eventually, after all those years, it doesn't tell us how many, it says, the Lord remembered her. He hears, and he responds, opening her womb, and she bears a son, that great prophet Samuel. How long do we persist? As long as it takes. 
Don't give up praying. Bringing, bring your needs to our Father with impudence and in full reliance on Him. Don't take a break from praying when the answer isn't immediate and gain the increased faith that accompanies persistence in prayer. Colossians 4.2 tells us, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in it. Persevere. Begin praying and continue praying. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful with it in it with thanksgiving. We must be steadfast in praying. This means to be means to be unwavering, holding firm to continuing in prayer. When I hear the word steadfast, I think of an old sailing ship, you know, entering a storm and the captain's yelling, Hold steadfast as the ship crashes against the waves, the sailors holding firm to their posts as they navigate the storm. We are to continue steadfastly and unwavering in prayer. There was a man named George Mueller, some of you might be familiar with, um, who was a man of steadfast prayer. He ran an orphanage in England in the 1800s and funded entirely with prayer. He never asked for donations. He never raised money. He simply prayed earnestly for the Lord to meet his needs, and he did. There was one famous time where he had no food to give the children at the orphanage for breakfast one morning, but they went ahead and sat down anyways, and they gave thanks even with no food before them. And when they were done praying, the doorbell rang, and a baker had felt compelled to bring them fresh bread for breakfast, and a milk cart had broken down outside, and the milkman gave them all the milk so that it wouldn't spoil. Over and over again, God provided for their needs. George Mueller was a man who persisted in prayer. And listen to what he has to say about prayer. It is not enough for the believer to begin to pray, nor to pray correctly. Nor is it enough to continue for a time to pray. We must patiently, believingly continue in prayer until we obtain an answer. Further, we have not only to continue in prayer until the end, but we have also to believe that God does hear us and will, answers our, will answer our prayers. More, most frequently, we fail in not continuing in prayer until the blessing is obtained and in not expecting the blessing. Amen and amen and amen. We must patiently, believingly continue in prayer until we obtain the answer. Sometimes the answer is immediate. Sometimes it comes after years. Sometimes we persist only to have the answer be something that we didn't expect or ask for. Paul also was a man who persisted in prayer. Certainly we know he persisted in prayer for the saints, for the church. He told the Philippians how he was thankful for them in every prayer that he was joyfully offering up for them. And Paul persisted in prayer for his thorn in his flesh, didn't he? Three times over he pleaded with God for it to be removed. I wish the Bible would have told us what or whom that thorn was, something or someone in Paul's life that aggravated him and harassed him to the point of pleading. But God allowed that thorn to remain there for a purpose for Paul, to keep him humble. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul pleaded with God for the removal of this thorn, and then pleaded again and pleaded again. How many of us have pleaded with God to do something, pleaded with him to bless or to heal or to move? God didn't answer Paul's request to remove this thorn in his flesh, though. But God did answer. After Paul's persistence, God says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What an answer. That's incredible. And Paul is thrilled with this answer, even though it means the thorn is still there. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's saying, thank you, Lord. This thorn is a sign of your grace at work in my life. And I will take it. And I will boast about what you are doing. Paul didn't initially know what God was doing in his life with that thorn in the flesh. God didn't initially tell Paul what he was working out. He was just working in Paul's heart, doing what only God can do, working out good. But because of Paul's persistence in prayer, God answers him. I'm working this for your own good, Paul, to keep you humble. It's not your strength. It's my grace, my power that is sufficient. And until Paul persisted in prayer, he never realized this work the Lord was doing in his life by using this thorn to keep him from becoming conceited. The same holds true for us. God is at work in your life, in your heart, that beautiful work of sanctification where we are molded and refined to become more like Christ. And we likely don't see it happening in the moment. But persist in prayer until God answers. Maybe he reveals what he's been teaching you as with Paul. Maybe the response is yes. Maybe the response is a no. Maybe it's wait for God's timing and not our own. Maybe it's to use our persistence in prayer for the strengthening of our faith so that we have full confidence in asking and depending on our Father. So we persist in prayer as long as it takes until we reach glory or until he comes back. And when he comes, will he find faith on this earth? Will he find saints persevering in prayer? Persevere in prayer, brothers and sisters, as we are taught how by the parables of Jesus in which show us the importance of persistence. We are commanded to pray steadfastly, fervently, continuously, as we see in the epistles. We've seen the example of lives of those who have persisted, showing us that persistence is impactful and needs to be incessant. And finally now, as we close here, we'll see that persistence in prayer was illustrated for us by our Savior. Christ himself persisted in prayer, didn't he? All through the Gospels, we see him praying, praying, giving thanks to God and bringing repeatedly to his Father prayers for the glory of God. And that night that he was betrayed and arrested, leading up to the cross, what did he do? He persisted in prayer as he was sorrowful and troubled, as he looked ahead to the cross, seeing the suffering and the anguish that lay before him. Three times over, he continued to pour out fervent prayers to his father. Matthew twenty six thirty nine, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father... 
If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In Matthew 26, 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Matthew 26, 44, so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Why didn't he just pray once? Didn't the father hear him the first time? Did the father not respond to the son? No, it's not that. As he looked ahead to the gruesome cross, he cried out to his father, Is there any other way? Is this what it takes? But if it is, then your will be done. Three times our Savior persisted in crying out to his father. We don't see an answer from the father recorded, but we see the effect of persistent prayer. When he is done praying, Christ is ready. He is fully confident in the plan ordained by his father that through his shed blood, we might be reconciled to God. Christ never doubted the Father's plan, nor was he questioning it. But in his humanity, the thought of the suffering that he was about to endure caused him distress and anguish and sorrow. And so he prays persistently. And in prayer, he is strengthened. And in full submission to the Father, confident in the divine plan, he then willingly goes to the cross. Christ's persistence in prayer gave him confidence in the will of the Father, which led to his obedience in going to that cross. He didn't shrink back, brothers and sisters. He was confident, having persisted in prayer, that God was going to use his suffering and sacrifice so that you and I can have our sins atoned for. Because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that confidence and faith that he had in the plan of the Father in the plan that he had ordained since before the foundation of the world, that he would send his son to die so that men and women and children who believe in him could be rescued from damnation and brought into the kingdom of God. That confidence stayed with Christ all the way to the cross. We are to pray persistently because that is the example our Savior has given us. And as we do, our faith will be strengthened and increased, and we continue praying, knowing with full confidence that we have a good, heavenly Father who responds and answers the prayers of his children.